Welcome to the Functional Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Erin Holt. I'm a functional medicine nutritionist with a feisty attitude in over a decade of clinical experience. I work with women all over the world through my online programs, and I'm also the founder of the Functional Nutrition Academy, a 12-month practitioner mentorship where I help other nutrition pros level up with functional medicine methodologies. I've got a bone to pick with diet culture and the conventional healthcare model that are both systematically failing so many of us. Creating a new model is my life's work, and this is what the show's all about. Please keep in mind this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or treatment. If you like what you hear today, I'd love for you to subscribe, leave a review in iTunes, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Thanks for joining me. Now let's dive deep. Hello, my friends. We're back with another episode. We're going to continue on the hormone trajectory. Today, we're really going to highlight more of the stress side of things. Um, When we think about hormones, we tend to think about the sex hormones, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, but there's lots of different hormones in the body, stress hormones being some of them. And since many of us are dealing with a lot of stress, I think it makes good sense for us to talk about them today. Now, as a reminder, Your Hormone Revival, my 12-week hormone rebalancing process starts in September, and you're going to want to get yourself on the wait list, erinholthealth.com forward slash hormones, because we open up registration to the wait list first with an early bird discount that you don't want to miss. So if you have been waiting for Your Hormone Revival, I only run it twice a year, get yourself on the wait list and make sure we're not going to spam. That's the other thing. So we do have limited seats. I opened up more seats this round just because of all the things we're going to talk about today. Uh, There's a lot of stressed out folks for good reason. And um, so I've built out the infrastructure and the support to be able to hold a bigger group, but there still are a limited amount of spots. So if this is something that you know that you want to do, I always recommend getting on it. We typically sell out 24 to 48 hours. This episode is brought to you by our show sponsor, Organifi. If you're interested in hormonal health, I suggest you check out their Harmony Blend. It was specifically designed for PMS support to help balance out female hormones and to give you a little energy boost with the adaptogenic herbs that they use like Shatavari and Maca. So it's a cacao and Maca blend. I happen to love those two flavors together. So tasty. Uh, We also have ginger and turmeric added to the mix. So it's kind of like a spicy treat. Chase tree berries also featured, which is an herb that has been long shown to support female hormones. So I highly recommend that product. It's really tasty. You could also look into their gold powder, one of their best sellers. That's a turmeric ginger blend. Both are anti-inflammatory. And listen, menstruation, having a period is a naturally inflammatory process. And so if you're experiencing wonkiness during those times of the month, uh, it's not terribly uncommon, especially if you have underlying inflammatory stuff going on. It kind of just throws a little bit of gasoline on the fire. So doing anti-inflammatories during your period is a smart bet. Turmeric and ginger are two things that I highly recommend. Uh, This product, Gold, also has lemon balm and magnesium. Both of those are calming and soothing and can really, I mean, I drink it all the time, not just when I'm on my period, but it's a really good tool if you do have PMS symptoms. Both of these blends, the Harmony and the Gold, are great for post-meal sweet treats. You mix a little bit with either hot water. I personally like it with non-dairy milk. And uh, if you're somebody who has a sweet tooth, check them out. Head to Organifi.com forward slash funk. So that's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash funk or use code funk to save you 20% on any of your orders. And we got to shout out our show sponsor and local friend, Coyote River Hemp Co. I've known the owner, Ryan, going all the way back over a decade, way back to my health food store days. So I know them personally. I use this company personally. They are committed to regenerative farming practices. So they're giving more than they take 
giving more back to the land than they take. And I want you to understand that not all CBD products are created equally. So you always have to be a savvy consumer if you're utilizing CBD. A common question that people will ask is what dose do I start out with? And uh, Coyote River always recommends same thing that I do. Start low and go slow. Start with a low dose, slowly work your way up to the results that you're after. It can take a few weeks of consistently using CBD for uh, your body to fully recognize it. So it is a good daily routine. I suggest starting with Coyote River 500 milligram hemp tincture. You can um, titrate that dose up or down. I also really dig the nighttime formula. It has 500 milligrams of CBD and 100 milligrams of CBN, and it really helps with sleep. I've gotten a lot of feedback from folks, and you are doing well with it. So head over to their website, coyoteriverhempco.com. Use code FUNK10 to save you 15%. And just remember that the support from our sponsors allow the Functional Nutrition Podcast to continue to pump out new content. So we thank them, and we hope that you support them too. Okay, so stress. Let's tuck into it. Now, we're living through a time of pretty radical polarization. That should come as no surprise to anybody. I personally feel like I'm constantly being either pulled on or pushed on and this constant combative energy is exhausting. I mean, even just grabbing the mic to record a podcast, I'm like acutely aware of the potential for anything I say to be misconstrued and to like cause problems. It's it's a really, I mean, this this definitely wasn't the case two years ago. This definitely wasn't even the case a year ago. So right now we're definitely in this super duper tense time. And then layered on top of all of that are all the unknowns, all the uncertainty. We have big uncertainty on like global scales, like the public health crisis, climate crisis. And then on smaller scales, like, hey, is my kid going to be in school this year? Like what's going on? All of that is extremely overwhelming. And I think that we can all agree that the feeling of the unknown, like not knowing what to expect is extremely destabilizing. And it's just quite frankly, stressful for, for lack of a better term. So it makes no sense or it makes good sense that, that we're seeing a massive uptick in stress and stress associated disorders, right? That probably comes as no surprise. And I'm going to talk about some really specific things that um, that I've seen in my own private practice over the past year or so uh, in just a moment. So you might see yourself in some some of these things. The I think the, the problem, one of the biggest problems is that for a lot of folks, it can be hard to tell. Like we know that stress is not good from a health perspective, right? We're all there. If you've listened to the podcast before, you probably understand that truth. Uh, the issue is, is people being able to discern whether or not they're in a stress response or they're on their way towards too much stress. My personal goal is always to put people more in touch with their bodies and more in touch with their intuition so that they can really listen to the whispers before they become screams. I think that's a really good phrase to use because our body communicates to us pretty clearly. It's just that we're not really taught to listen to it. In fact, we're taught pretty much just the opposite. If we're tired, you know, drink coffee, drink energy drinks. If we're hungry, drink water. If we're craving something, just chew some gum. If you have hormone imbalance or, or mood disruption, just go on the birth control pill, like shut it all down. If you're in pain, take a Tylenol. If you have allergies, take Benadryl, right? We have a lot of systems in place to override the messages that our body is sending us because that is one of the ways that our bodies communicate with us is through those physical symptoms. And we've all just become pretty collectively bad at heeding those warning signs. We just turn them off. We just ignore them. We create ways to just push through, which is fine once in a while. If you have the ability to rest on the other side of that. You know, if you've ever been on a deadline, you know, like you just just keep going and going and going and then you kind of crash at the end of that. If you have the ability to rest, great. The problem is that we don't have that rest period baked into our life, baked into our day-to-day life or our week-to-week life. Or when we do, it doesn't, it's not really true rest. It's not true restoration. 
because it's oftentimes paired with guilt that we should be doing something productive. We feel guilty when we rest. That's a, that's a real gem, isn't it? Um, so there really is very little room in modern day living for just true rest and restoration. And so I want to talk to you about some signs and some signals to be on the lookout for that your body might be under more stress than it's tolerating. So you can start to recognize these, these things. I mean, this, I am imperfect at this. I I'm definitely, I've had a lot of years to practice this, so I'm pretty good at it, but even I slip up. Um, so I just, I I just want everyone to understand that this is kind of an ongoing practice and that's okay. But I do want to give you things to be on the lookout for. Some of them might actually surprise you. I'll tell you my number one telltale sign that like I'm on the cusp of heading to a stress disaster. Um, but first let's talk about some of the things that I've seen an uptick in over the past, I would say year or so in private practice. And I, I'm saying this because I want you to understand if you're experiencing any of these things, that all of these things can be traced back to the insane amount of stress that many of us have been under. So we can see or I've been seeing a lot of cycle irregularities with stress. Stress really can affect LH and FSH, luteinizing hormone and follicle-stimulating hormone. Both of those regulate ovulation. They regulate the, the strength of the strength, the length and the strength of your menstrual cycle. So um, we know that chronic stress definitely tends to suppress fertility and reproductive health, which makes sense. Like when you just think about it, it makes good logical sense because we, if we're, our bodies are under stress, it, it's not like necessarily an awesome time to bring new life into the world, right? If you're under stress, your body is thinking, okay, the environment is not safe. Your body doesn't know the difference between like true life or death and just something that kind of sucks. So your body's going to be like, no, we're not, we're going to shut down the reproduction function because like, why would we bring, why would we procreate in a time that's clearly very stressful? So it's not, it, it's not uncommon during periods of stress for your cycle to get all jacked up or to even miss a couple of cycles. I've de- I definitely saw that more so um, in the past year and a half uh, than I typically see. We know that chronic stress will suppress the immune system. We talked about some hormone immune interactions last week, but one thing that since I work so much with GI stuff with with gut health, um, I've been seeing a lot of GI and inf- infections flare up despite not changing diet at all. Like everything has stayed the same and yet the gut just becomes a mess and stress will absolutely do that. I've actually seen some um, clients come back. So they had worked with me in the past. They were like squeaky clean jelly bean, like feeling great all we've like kind of cleared up, cleaned up the gut. They were feeling awesome, no digestive complaints. And then because of the stress, it suppressed the immune system enough for imbalances to come back, which, which will happen. Um, interestingly, I've also seen an uptick in seasonal allergies. So people who, um, hadn't really dealt with seasonal allergies in the past are, um, were really complaining about them this year. I don't mean complain in a bad way. Just, you know, that was, that was something that they were they were communicating to me. And um, I wonder if it's really seasonal allergies or if it's more of a low cortisol issue. Cortisol is an antihistamine. And so if uh, we have low cortisol, we can have too much of a histamine response. Like we mount more of a histamine response. So maybe, you know, the, the, um, environmental stuff that you were exposed to before wasn't a problem, but if you're burnt out, if you have a low cortisol picture, you might be more reactive. Um, And then finally, I got to talk about it just because a lot of you are talking to me about it, the weight gain piece. Listen, I, this weight gain, especially around the abdomen, um, higher blood sugar levels, high insulin, high metabolized cortisol, they all go hand in hand. I see this pattern quite a bit when I'm running Dutch tests. Um, So 
in your hormone revival, you'll get a Dutch test, but you'll also, we'll also look at your blood sugars. And it is a very common pattern to see high blood sugar levels, high insulin, high metabolized cortisol. And then we see the, um, you know, some, some weight gain usually around the abdomen. And this is often an overactive stress response that's kind of driving this. So when we have high cortisol levels, that increases gluconeogenesis in the liver. So we're basically in this, in this situation, we're just making glucose from whatever we can. The body's just manufacturing glucose. It's really as a survival response. Remember that cortisol is not just a stress hormone. It's a glucocorticoid, as we mentioned last week. So when the body gets that stress signal, it wants to get you glucose. It wants to get you fuel because it's like, yo, this, you know, she has to run, she has to jump, she has to fight, she has to figure something out. There's a stressor here, right? Lions and tigers and bears, oh my. So it wants to get you that glucose. Now the body is designed to do that. The body is a well-oiled machine. Kind of, we give the body all the appropriate inputs. It kind of does its thing, um, but we don't. We absolutely do not. So the body's designed to do that, but it's not designed to do that long-term. So over time, if we're in this chronic stress activation, we can start to see higher levels of blood sugar. Um, hemoglobin A1C is a measure. It's a great, you know, everybody should be getting this test all the time. Um, I like to see hemoglobin A1C, fasting glucose and fasting insulin, like as a baseline. But hemoglobin A1C is essentially the average of your blood sugars over the span of about three-ish months. And we can see A1C levels rise with chronic stress. So on top of all of this, when we see this high cortisol picture, when we see this high blood sugar picture, and this also tends to um, correlate with more insulin resistance. Uh, so we can see higher insulin levels. We can see higher blood sugar levels. We can also start to see increased adiposity. So this is fat around the abdomen specifically. This is that visceral fat. It it's It's known as the most inflammatory and the most dangerous. It's associated with the most um, health risks. It wraps around the internal organs in the spaces between the abdominal organs. So it's not it's not like if we're thinking like good fat, bad fat, this is, this is not the good fat. Subcutaneous fat is different. This is the stuff that lies just under the skin. This is like, can be around the belly, it can be around the thighs, it can be around your rumpus, but this doesn't carry the same health risks. This is, when we talk about fat as like protection, this is the fat that we're talking about, is this subcutaneous fat. So with higher cortisol that tends to drive up visceral fat. And it it's sort of this, this cycle of like more inflammation, more cortisol, more blood sugar, more insulin resistance, more visceral fat, wash, rinse, repeat. And um, so that is not uncommon to see. And it, this is an extra tricky situation right now, given what's going on. We've known since the beginning that what seems to be the, one of the biggest risk factors for COVID complications is this hyperglycemia, high blood sugar, and hyperinsulinemia, high insulin, um, insulin resistance. And uh, Dr. Tatis Karazian mentioned, it's like he's like it's this this COVID nineteen pandemic during the time of a diabetes pandemic. So we see COVID nineteen meeting diabetes, it's this hyper-inflammatory state with there's this metabolic dysregulation, this immune dysregulation. It creates significant inflammatory stuff, which increases the complications of disease, like period across the board. Um, I'm a lot of a lot of different folks are talking about this connection. This is not anything new. I've certainly talked about it on the podcast before. I specifically chose Dr. Datis Karazian to quote because he's not super controversial. Um, so I went, I went with him. Uh, but lots and lots and lots of folks are talking about this connection. The other really interesting thing is, and again, I, I talked to, I think I remember talking about this last summer, um, high levels of cortisol are associated with a higher rate of mortality in COVID-19 patients. Um, I will link to the this article in the show notes, cortisol, 
cortisol concentrations and mortality from COVID-19. Um, the, the link between cortisol in community acquired pneumonia has been extensively studied. So elevated cortisol is an independent biomarker predicting adverse outcomes in mortality in patients with community acquired pneumonia. And then they, they, so that's been well established. Then they started looking at patients with COVID-19 and then they found that it's a similar thing. So serum cortisol in COVID-19 patients uh, predicts mortality and duration of survival. So point is this, like if we're in a stress response and we're just cranking on our cortisol, nothing good comes out of that. Nothing good comes out of that. And then finally, let's talk about mood because holy smokes, I mean, depression, anxiety, sleep trouble, you know, it's like lions and tigers and bears, oh my. Depression, anxiety, and sleep trouble, oh my. I mean, raise your hand if you've experienced some of that over the past year and a half. That's a lot of people. Now, those three things can be signs of low serotonin. We know that serotonin, the neurotransmitter, um, there's a huge link between chronic stress and low serotonin. Huge link. And I'm going to get a little bit... um, descriptive here. This is like a little sciencey, but I think a lot of you uh, can appreciate this. Um, and it helps us understand why the link it's, you know, it's, it's not just like, oh, stress causes all these problems. It's like, there's real like mechanisms going on in the body that are contributing to these things. There's real explanations and rationale behind it. So the, the link between chronic stress and, um, low serotonin is this, Serotonin is made from tryptophan, an amino acid. Now, dietary tryptophan can go down one of two pathways. It can go down the serotonin pathway. So from tryptophan, we make 5-HTP. From 5-HTP, we make serotonin. And then from serotonin, that'll go on to produce melatonin. So when we're favoring this pathway, we feel good, we're happy, we're sleeping well. Um, Now, if we're shunting things away from serotonin production, serotonin pathway, we're also shunting things away from melatonin production. So we tend to think about melatonin as our sleep hormone, and it it is, but it also has other really important roles like immune regulation. It's an antioxidant. It it scavenges free radicals. It has inhibitory actions against the production and activation of pro-inflammatory mediators. So it it is anti-inflammatory. And it also plays a role in combating various bacterial and viral infections. So melatonin is doing a lot more than just helping us sleep. Uh, Last week, I talked about the hormones and immunity, but I, I didn't mention melatonin, but it really is important from an immune perspective. Just keep that in mind. And when we run a Dutch test on you in your hormone revival, you will be able to see melatonin on that test. It's measured as 6-OHMS as part of the organic acid section of the the Dutch test. So that's kind of cool to, you know, take into context of your overall hormonal picture. So serotonin, so so tryptophan can go down one of two pathways. We can go down that serotonin pathway, which also leads to melatonin. That's the one we really ideally should be favoring. We can also send tryptophan down the kynurenine pathway, and this is not favorable, uh, and I'll explain why. And, but first, we have to understand what, what forces this pathway. It is inflammation, and it's chronic stress. These are the, the two big things that push tryptophan towards kynurenine. Um, And when that happens, when tryptophan is being pushed in that direction, there's less available to come over to to serotonin and to melatonin. So we can start to see depletion of those two compounds, which is not good. Um, Specifically, what happens is that chronic stress increases the IDO enzyme that pushes the pathway away from serotonin. This is the enzyme um, that synthesizes kynurenine from tryptophan in the gut. Um, As you you probably are familiar with, or maybe you're not, 95% of serotonin is created and it's stored in the gut. So we think of serotonin as a brain chemical and some gets made there, but the vast majority of it is actually um, being made in the gut by uh, enterochromaffin cells. They're ECCs, 
Those are in the lining of the gut throughout the small intestine in the colon. Now, serotonin is produced in the gut. It cannot cross the blood, the blood-brain barrier. The way that it acts is through other other, it doesn't go directly to the brain is what I'm trying to say. But kynurenine can cross the blood-brain barrier. And it is very pro-inflammatory in the brain. So high kynurenine can have a direct effect on brain function, like neuroinflammation, neurodegeneration, like not good stuff. So with this, we can see cognition issues, we can see fatigue, we can see brain fog, we can see depression, um, all with this pattern. So on top of mood, you know, from mood imbalances from low serotonin, this chronic stress can also push a lot of, uh, create a lot of inflammation in the brain. Now, there is always going to be some amount of tryptophan going down that kynurenine pathway, but again, it is up regulated by inflammation in the body, by stress in the body, by high cortisol, and even high estrogen can do that. So if you do your hormone revival with us, that the Dutch test does look at that uh, kynurenate metabolite, so it can give us some potential clues here. So kind of explains why if you've been under stress for a long period of time, you might have some mood issues, you might have some brain fog, you're like, this sucks. So all of that, whoops, just like got so excited to talk about this. I punched my microphone across the room. Okay. So all of this is sort of depressing, right? And you're like, cool, neat, awesome. What can I do about it? And that is the question that I have asked myself for years. It's if we can't change the external circumstances, if we have no control over a global pandemic, let's say, how can we change our internal environment? How can we change our fear response? How can we change our perception? How can we change our attitude? How can we change our minds? And I've sort of become obsessed with this over the past few years. In the midst of turmoil going on around me, how can I continue to ground and center myself. Now, my stakes are particularly high because if I get overly stressed, I can get pitched into an autoimmune flare that is no bueno. So it's imperative for me that I have practices that help to regulate myself. I I mean, I would argue that everyone's stakes are high. I just happen to be acutely aware of of what my stakes are, and I don't want to live like that anymore. It is really challenging to live as a sick person. I would much prefer to live my life as healthy as I can, and I'm always going to take the steps toward that to the best of my ability. And it's it's not a rose-colored glasses thing. I'm not ignoring all of the things going on around me. It's just that I'm maintaining my sense of self while living in this world. I have the ability to discern in this moment, I am safe. Like the world might be quite literally burning around me right now in this moment. I'm speaking to you in a microphone. I am safe. In this moment, I am okay. And if I can do that, it downregulates that fight or flight tendency for me. So I'm not pitched into an active stress response and just like suspended there. You know, I, I've a lot of folks are just in this like frantic fear response and they just they're they're, they're they don't have the tools to downregulate themselves and get themselves out of it that's when we start to see the um the imbalances that i you know all the all the disharmonies all the imbalances that i just discussed immune dysregulation hormone imbalance gut problems blood sugar right metabolic stuff all of it right, is when we get locked into that stress response. We, we're going to hit stress in our life. It's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. But do we have the ability to recalibrate ourselves? That's, that's what I've been really like focusing my, my own personal efforts on is, yes, there's hard things. Yes, there's stressful things. Can I recalibrate myself rather than just, you know, jumping into the anxiety, the fear, and the stress and staying there. That's what I used to do, right? That's what I used to do. I was really good at that. I had to kind of retrain my brain away from those patterns. And it's an ongoing (laughs) project. So I've talked about different practices that help me do that. 
We've talked about different grounding practices here on the show. I've provided free guided meditations here and also on my website. This is all of the stuff that I teach in Your Hormone Revival. But one thing I noticed in the last round of Your Hormone Revival is that the buy-in for grounding practices is really steep these days. It's like, and I, I would be so curious to hear if if you relate to this. It's like people know that they need to have some type of stress management practice in place or some recalibration practice or grounding practice, but it feels more difficult now than ever. It's like, I know that I should be doing this, but I'm not doing this. And then there's this like sense of shame layered onto it, which creates even more stress. I know I should do that. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. I'm not doing that. Oh God, here we go. Now it's one more thing that I'm supposed to be doing that I'm not doing. And now I feel shame about it. So I want to speak to that here for a second in case this is you. Um, I certainly don't want you to be carrying around that shame that doesn't do anybody any good. So I'm always paying attention and observing where are people at and what do people need? That's, that is my job. That's how I see my role in life is just observing. I have the, um, I have the fortune of being able to, um, be exposed to a lot of different people in my line of work. I don't know. That, there's a very weird way to articulate what I was trying to say, but hopefully you got the, I, I get to interact with lots of folks and I see what's going on. What are you dealing with? What are you struggling with? What's working? What's not working? Like I get, I get, I get a lot of exposure to that. And so then I see my job is like, okay, how do we help people where they're at? Right? Where are people at? What do they need? How do, is there any way that I can deliver that through the work that I do? I've been really, really thinking about this. And here's what I've come up with. I, our minds are constantly distracted in modern day right now, in modern day living. So it's really hard to commit to a new practice. It's really exceptionally hard to build a new habit. Our attention spans are shrinking. So of course, trying to sit in meditation feels exceptionally hard, right? There's an endless supply of distractions. Have you ever tried to meditate or have you ever done an at-home yoga class and the teacher cues up Shavasana and you're like, maybe I'll just grab my phone. I mean, I'm even guilty of like doing a workout and like grabbing my phone, checking in on my phone, right? We are constantly multitasking really kind of all the time. And then we kind of layer onto that, this almost addictive like behavior many of us have with our phones it, it just becomes, there's not much space, there's not much opportunity to lay down the foundations of building a new habit. That's what I'm chalking it up to. We were talking about the, the neurotransmitter serotonin a minute ago, but dopamine is the neurotransmitter that we think of in terms of reward and pleasure seeking. And dopamine is the neurotransmitter that's often discussed in association with addiction because it can drive behavior toward the things that will activate the pleasure centers of the brain and our smartphones and social media really play into this because dopamine can be triggered by positive social stimulus and that includes a notification on your phone that includes a dm or a like on the social media um we have these dopamine driven feed feedback loops so when that happens when we get like a little like dopamine bump it it reinforces whatever behavior elicited it right so it's like where did i get that i'm going to keep seeking that out we keep seeking out that that uh, dopamine hit, so to speak, by doing the same behavior. So it's a really hard loop to get out of, especially if we're baseline feeling tired, feeling fatigued, feeling depressed. Those little dopamine hits can feel really good. So it's not, it's not a you thing is what I'm trying to, if, if you're like, man, I really need to kind of get control of this. It's not a you thing. It's more of your environment is kind of set up to keep you a little scatterbrained, to keep you unfocused, uh, to keep you wanting more, to keep you opting in. Um, it's almost as though our modern world is designed to pull us outside of ourselves. We're so externally oriented. We're, we're so accustomed to seeking information outside of ourselves. I, I mean, I've talked about this so much on the show. 
And I think spending a lot of time on social media doubles down on this because we're surrounded by messages telling us what to do and what not to do, right? But it's all through the lens of other people. It's all externally oriented. It's all lots and lots and lots of noise and lots of opinions and lots of, you know, chaos kind of yelling at us, here's what you should be doing. Here's what you should be thinking, right? And we lose our ability, I think, to check in and ask ourselves, like, how do I feel about this? right? It's just easier to be like, what's somebody else telling me to feel about this? And we ha- so we have this lowered attention span combined with this inability to sit with ourselves. And I think both of those combined is a recipe for uh, a mindfulness practice to feel impossible because everything we're doing is like the polar opposite of mindfulness. So yeah, it makes sense that if you're trying to build a meditation practice and you're like, I can't do it. I'm like, I hear you. Like, I, I get it. Um, and also, so it's hard for people, right? And also, we need it. We need it. We need some type of mindfulness practice. We need some type of grounding, centering practice now more than ever. And that is why I have brought breath work in to this round of your hormone revival. I had daily meditation, guided meditation practices, and those will still be there for you to access if you want them. But we're switching things up a little bit because again, where are people struggling and what do people need? I want to, you know, give you what I, you know, what could help you the most rather than just make you feel more guilty and more ashamed of doing, you know, of not doing enough. Um, I have posted about breathwork a few times on Instagram and got some questions. So I want to kind of talk you through why I think this practice is phenomenal. I've been practicing this particular technique for a few years. And the way that I see it is that this breathwork is teaching you how to tune in and connect to your own energy. It's like allowing yourself to feel what your energy feels like. My breathwork teacher calls it a home frequency. And I'm like that, I get that. I get what she's saying. I I feel it. It's like, what do I actually feel like, right? We're constantly surrounded by everybody else telling us what to think, how to feel, what we need, what our desires should be. And this is like, but like, what do I actually feel like? It's a really helpful, it's really important and it can be really helpful to understand and be aware of your own energy, what it feels like, where it begins, where it ends. So then you can start to easily identify when it's off, when something isn't right. You can start to make decisions for yourself. Um, This just recently happened with me. I found myself just like not calibrated and it was going on for a week and then it was going on for two weeks. And I'm like, what is going on? This is not what my energy feels like. What is happening? I had to really assess some things that were going on and make some changes. I was able to identify it and then course correct. But it it, it was because and I was able to course correct before I got pitched into it, like a really hardcore stress response, I want to say. And it was because of practices like this. So we, we can start to make decisions that are in alignment with our, our best self, in alignment with our greatest good. This is how you self-source. This is how you take care of yourself. And you can use this throughout your entire life. You can use this with your food choices. So you're not like keto or plant-based, high carb or low carb. You're like, what, is, what do I need? What do I want, Right. You can use this in relationships. You can use this in parenting. You can use this in your work and career life, everything. In your interactions with other people, if you understand what your own energy feels like, you can start to understand when it's being pulled on, when it's being compromised. This is kind of part of boundary work, energetic boundaries, like understanding when you're picking up on something that might not be yours. And if we're talking about burnout, this is one of the the biggest antidotes. I, I, I really, really really firmly believe that. So the more that you understand your own energy, the more that you know yourself. You can start to identify your own emotions, your own needs, your own desires. We learn how to stop going dark on ourselves. We start stop basing our, our needs and our wants on what other people are telling us that we need 
and telling us what to want. It, it, I feel like it's a very less reactionary way to live. And this is coming from somebody who is highly reactionary, highly reactionary. I feel like it's a less reactionary way to live and it's more internally driven. And we can start to understand what does alignment look like for me? What does being centered actually feel like in my body? In a time of being so ungrounded, so unsure, so uncentered, we need practices that help us pull us back here. And that is what breathwork does. And honestly, it is a practice because at first it can feel really different. With, with this particular technique, you can feel kind of like vibrate I guess like buzzy. This is personally my, my favorite part. I now recognize it as being in optimal healing mode. I'm, I feel whole. I feel balanced. This is the place that I manifest my health from. If you listen to the podcast episode, Manifest Your Health, you know what I'm talking about. Like my immune system is balanced. My endocrine system is functioning. My nervous system's in harmony. So I actively seek this sensation out. But in the beginning, you can be like, what is this? What is this? Most people are so used to feeling fatigued or so used to just kind of hovering outside themselves, just like on the periphery. So to be in the body feeling this enlivening and restorative sensation can feel surprising because it's so unfamiliar. So we want to practice this so it becomes more familiar. It becomes more of our natural state. We can access it more easily. And that's why I give you plenty of opportunities to practice this with with me and your hormone revival. There will be a daily short little shorty practice that you can, you know, do on your own time when you've got like, I don't, you're like, I got 10 minutes, let's go. But then there's going to be four live taught sessions and there'll be a little bit longer and I'm teaching them live so you get that deeper experience. If you've ever meditated in a group or done some type of energy work in a group, you know that it it just feels a bit more powerful in real time. Um, But I'm also doing them live for the people who need accountability. And that's a lot of us right now. A lot of us, right? If, If you're somebody who needs something on your schedule, like this is my time, I'm committing to it. I am committing to myself. This this is definitely for you. They're all going to be recorded, so you can watch the replay if you can't make it live, of course. And then you can you know, use them to practice as much as you you wish. I started when I first started this breathwork practice. I started with a weekly practice, so a weekly longer practice. Um, that was a couple years back, and now I'm at just about a daily practice. You know, most. I would say like six days of the week, six to seven days of the week, and it can be anywhere from ten minutes to. 35 minutes, but I'm like, I don't know. The more that I do it, the more I crave it, it puts me in the place that I want to go. That is the best way I can describe it. I crave that stability of self. And the more I practice, the more I become aware when I get pulled off my axis, when I'm starting to get stressed out. And then I can course correct. I can course correct so my stress doesn't take me down at the knees and doesn't develop into something even more significant. Um, so for that reason, I am forever in gratitude to this breathwork practice. But speaking of that, let's talk about signs of an overly stressed system because I want you to start to pay attention and to learn your um, your your telltale signs, so to speak. And if you are experiencing any of these, I do encourage you to build in some practices or join your hormone revival. I would love to have you in September. Um, I think you can really benefit from it if any of this sounds like you. In fact, I know you can because I've seen it happen for plenty of people. So if we're in an overactive stress, adrenal situation, this can feel almost like you're plugged in, like you are plugged into something. Um, This is the overdrive. You're experiencing the effects of excessive adrenaline. So it can seem like, um, it can feel like anxiety. Uh, You might even have some heart palpitations, but it can be like increased reactivity, like Lindsay from Summer House when she's like, don't activate me, right? You're just more irritable. You're a little more crispy. You know, you're snapping at people a little bit more easily. Um, I can often feel 
untethered or like squirrely, you know, just, just revved up, right? That can be signs of overactivation, but then we can have an underactive stress response, adrenal response. And this looks more like low energy. This looks more like fatigue. This looks more like exhaustion and burnout. You might feel a lot more pain. Um, We might see chronic GI infections because the immune system is suppressed. Uh, We might see autoimmunity. So um, it, it can be hard to diagnose cortisol levels based off of symptoms alone, but you can kind of start to differentiate. Like, am I like overshooting it? Am I, have I been overshooting it for so long that now I'm undershooting it, right? Um, My sign, my telltale sign that I've learned over the years, and it just happened to me last week, that's why it's fresh on the, fresh on the old brain, is I notice almost overnight my caffeine tolerance um, lowers. So I drink dark roast coffee, which is a little bit lower in caffeine on the spectrum. Uh, but I drink a mug of that every morning. I would say anywhere from eight to 12 ounces. Um, it's a 12 ounce mug if I had to guess, but I don't always finish it. So I just wait for my poops to come and then I stop drinking it. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure you are dying to have that information sitting in your brain. Um, But I will not change the amount of coffee that I'm drinking. I will just feel a little bit more fritzed out. So those those signs of overactive, like the heart palpitations, the anxiety, the irritability, I will feel those drinking the same amount of coffee. What's so interesting is that I was feeling that one day last week and I'm like, huh, okay, what's up here? And then the next morning I woke up, you know, sometimes you wake up when you're having a dream. I was having a dream where I was craving matcha, matcha, the green tea powder. Um, I drink a lot of matcha, but I don't drink it in the morning. I always have coffee in the morning. And I was like, oh, I think my body's legit trying to tell me to drink matcha this morning instead of coffee. Well, hey, guess what? I drink the coffee anyway because I'm an imperfect human and just had uh, a lot of spaciness, a lot of headaches. Um, so if this is three days, this went on because I like to learn my lessons the hard way. Thank you very much. Uh, three days, this went on spacey headache. And I was like, oh, I am, I'm like cruising for a bruising right now. My stress, I wasn't able to identify that I was in a high stress situation, but I was, this was the, I was in the middle of launching the Functional Nutrition Academy. That's the biggest launch of my entire 11-year career by a landslide, by a landslide. So you can imagine that that requires a lot of energy output, a lot of work. You know, it, it's just, even um, even though it was a, a success, now I'm kind of getting down a rabbit hole and this probably should save this for another conversation. Even though it was a success, it brought up a lot of emotions for me. And sometimes that can be a little bit um, uh, stressful. It's like, okay, I'm dealing with like a, a brand new cocktail of emotions. Oh boy. <laughs> uh, okay. So I, I, was, I was just, I had a lot more on my plate than I, I typically, or like than I, I have in a while. And so I think I was just in a higher stress situation, short term, right? No big deal. I wasn't overdoing it for myself. Um, but what I realized is that my caffeine tolerance was lower because I was carrying around more stress. Have you ever noticed that you might sometimes drink too much coffee, like in your day-to-day life and you're like, whoa, that was a lot, but you can go on vacation and you can like crank cold brew and it's like no problem. It doesn't even have an effect on you. It really, um, because when we drink coffee, there's this transient cortisol spike. So we get a a, a little bit of a cortisol boost, uh, during, you know, during caffeine intake. And so if we're already in a high stress, high cortisol state, that's going to make us feel bad. It's gonna make us feel real bad. So anyway, that is a sign to look out for. And I know that if I don't heed those early warning signs, I will end up in a total depletion crash. I've been there, done that. You know, not worth it. Other signs to be on the lookout for 
sleep disturbances. If all of a sudden your sleep just gets a little weird, that could be your body communicating to you like, hey, we're, we're dealing with a little bit more stress than we, we care for. So, you know, please help. Um, exercise intolerance is another one. And again, this is like with nothing else changing, right? You're not like increasing your, you're not like all of a sudden doing a ton of intense exercise. It's like nothing else changes, right? And then all of a sudden you're like, wait a second, I can't tolerate what I used to be able to tolerate. What's going on? Oh, it's probably your body has more stress. And it, in or this also um, can be uh, lack of recovery too. Like if you're not recovering from your exercise as well. And what I just want to say to you, it's like, especially with the exercise piece, because a lot of us use exercise as a form of stress relief and you have to get really crystal clear with yourself on, is that actually working for you? Is that actually re- reducing the physiological stress in your body? Yes or no. Um, and maybe at some points it is, and maybe at some points it's too much. And what I just want to tell you is that it is, if you're noticing that you're, that you're not recovering from your exercise, great. It's a good indication that you should either scale back your life stressors or scale back your exercise. And doing that is not lazy. It is responsible. So keep that in mind. I think some people really need to hear that message over and over and over and over again. Um, so what I did when I recognized last week that I was like, ooh, okay, I am, you know, in in a in a state that could lead to um, not a great place. I assessed where the stress is coming from and I put a lot more restorative practices in place. I make sure made sure I was going to bed. Um, earlier, I was taking more Epsom salt baths. I was doing a little bit more breath work. I was talking to friends about my stress to kind of like process through the emotions. I got my support system in place, all that good stuff, right? So I just, I want to leave you with this. It is impossible to completely avoid stress. That's not the goal. That's not the end games. Like, oh, no stress ever. It is figuring out your and getting in touch with your body's communication. It is having some type of grounding, centering practice so you can recognize, so you can start to know yourself better. And you can start to recognize when you're being pulled or pushed either externally or internally, because I I know that we put a lot of internal pressure on ourselves too, when we're being pushed too far. And so then you can take the steps that are necessary to, to pull yourself back to baseline to recalibrate. I think that is the end goal. And that is really what your hormone revival is all about. So we start in September. If you're interested in the program, head over to erinholthealth.com forward slash hormones and get on our wait list and let's go. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you'd like to submit a question to the show, fill out the contact form at erinholthealth.com. If you got something from today's show, don't forget, subscribe, leave a review, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Take care of you.